Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, check out our website at freechapel.org. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to go to two places this evening. I want to go to Ephesians chapter 2. And, um, and then we're going to jump over to one more spot. Ephesians chapter 2. Begin reading at verse 1. It says, And you he has made alive who were dead in, in trespasses and in sins, in which you once walked. I want you to really listen to the, the tense, tense of these words that, that the, the, the writer is using. In which you once walked, that's past tense, according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once notice that we all once conducted ourselves, all of us in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others were by nature, by nature, our lives were, de- our lives were demanding wrath. But then it says, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, which he has loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, has made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Now turn back to 1 Corinthians Chapter uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. <clears throat> Verse 9 says this. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, let me just say something right there. That is living in uh, intentional, habitual lifestyle is what he's referring to. Verse 11 says this, and such were some of you. Remember, Ephesians told us we all once. But then notice Paul said again, and such were some of you, which is saved self now. But notice it said, But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. I'm going to stop there and notice I want to go over in Ephesians. It says, but God, who is rich in mercy, I want to talk to you for a few moments from the subject, the counter conjunction. It'll make sense in a moment, the counter conjunction. 
Here in our text, we have um, one of my favorite authors of the Bible is the Apostle Paul who's writing. And just to give you a backdrop, he's writing in regards to the church at Ephesus that he planted. The Bible historians and commentary tells us that Ephesus was one of probably Paul's greatest churches that he established. You know, um, outside of uh, Corinth and eventually Rome, it tells us that this is where he spent most of his time. The Ephesian church, church was considered to be one that was made mostly, uh, the majority of them were Gentile conversions. But the thing about this particular uh, church also is that tells us that this was where, where Paul experienced tons of his miracles and the miraculous works of God were performed. It was a Gentile, mainly uh, Gentile converted church, but it was also one of the fastest growing and maturing church. It was in this church, matter of fact, that the Bible says in the book of Acts, do you remember when it said that they would, they would, send, they would send handkerchiefs and aprons to Paul and he would anoint them, he would pray over them with oil and he would send them back and in the very fabric, in the very fibers of those cloths, they said when they would touch people and they would lay on people, it would drive out demon spirits and people were healed and set free and delivered because the very anointing that Paul Paul carried on his life the miraculous touch that was on this house got in the very fabric of cloths that people could touch and it would become a contact for the spirit of God I still believe in that stuff I still believe in the miracle working power of God Come on, I still believe that God can heal, that God can deliver, that God can set free. The God, come on, is anybody hearing me? The God he was is the God who he is, and it's the God he will always be. He's still healing. He's still performing miracles. He's still moving supernaturally. And in this particular text, I want to bring to your attention because Paul here, notice that he begins to, in chapter 2 in this particular uh, 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 book, he begins to reflect on the past human failures, but also God's present redemption in their lives. And when you begin to read this chapter 2 and you start going through it, it Paul kind of lays out this, this, this kind of crazy looking contradiction or, or he begins to compare a former lifestyle to the present lifestyle. But when you begin reading it, it's kind of a bit depressing. Listen to what it said. It said that our state that we were in, away from God, outside of God, we were dead in sins. We walked according to the course of the world. We were driven by the prince of the power of the air. We were controlled by the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. We fulfilled the desires of our flesh. We were after lustful things. The Bible said we were uncircumcised. It went on and said we were alien and strangers from the covenants of promises. And it said we were in this world without God and no hope. Now, I don't know about you. That puts a bad taste in my mouth. That's not a good, good sight to see. But I thank God that, that Paul didn't conclude the letter there. Because when you jump to verse 4, he begins to throw in some good news. And he opens up verse 4 with a two-word phrase that becomes the turning point for all of our lives. Did you catch it? What I want you to know is that the Bible is filled with so many powerful two-word phrases. Words like healed all, gathered all, pulled down, raised up, cast out. 
come forth. All of these were attributed to the power of God. But this one two word phrase that I'm talking to you about is used 44 times throughout the scripture. It's the difference between blessing and cursing. It's the difference between life and death. It's the difference between peace and joy. It's the difference between being up and being down. It's the difference between heaven and hell. It's the difference between comfort and confusion. I want to tell you that this two-word phrase, it can climb any mountain. It can turn tragedy into triumph. It can cross any river. It can traverse any valley. This two-word verse knows how to give you a song in the midnight hour. And this two-word phrase in verse four says, but God. Now follow me. But God, and he says, notice the word, but I want to take you to school for a minute because, but in English grammar is what we called a conjunction and a conjunction is a vocabulary. This is what is defined mechanism. Watch this. That connects two sentences and the second changing the intention of the first. Oh my God. <laughs> In other words, it rearranges the initial intention of what was supposed to be. That's where my title comes in. It's a counter conjunction. Let me put it like this. This is how I wrote it down. There is an exception. There's an objective to the previous statement. There's an interruption to what you thought was final and was going to happen. In other words, this but God phrase, it's, it's the, the counter strike of the kingdom of God. It's heaven's counter punch to the blows of the enemy. It's the very turning point of all of our lives. Because see, let, now let me show you something. When you go back and read, let's read it again. And I need you to help me preach because when you understand this counter conjunction, how it changes what's supposed to have happened. It should have happened this way, but it should have came out that way, but it didn't. It should have turned out like this, but. So let's go back and I want you to help me preach because I'm going to read back through what Paul said, but we're going to add in this phrase. Are you ready? Are you ready? We were dead in trespasses and sin. We walked according to the course of the world. You walked according to the prince of the power controlled by the spirit who works in the sons of disobedience conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind were by nature children in wrath in other words, I don't know about you. I'm glad that God butted into my business because when I look through that whole description, I find myself lining up to these things. And the point I'm trying to make to you tonight, see, I know there's people in here, you've never done anything wrong. You've been good all your life. You've been perfect all your life. You've you've dotted your I's. You've crossed your T's. You've walked the straight line. You never did anything wrong. You never told a little white lie. You never talked about anything. You never looked at anything that you weren't supposed to look at. You know, your life has just been this perfect little bubble every day that you were conceived in the womb and, get, and were given birth until the first time that you were birthed. And come on. But, 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 but anyway, I wanted to, and that's okay if that's you. But, but unfortunately, you may have to come to another service because I need to talk to some people that when you look back over your life and you realize 
that the wreck should have killed me, but God. I should have lost my mind, but God. The divorce tried to take me under, but God. The doctor told me I had six months to live, but God. My parents kicked me out of the house, but God. I lost my job, but God. I lost my house, but God. I need to talk to somebody tonight that says, if it had not been for the Lord that was on my side, where would I be? I'm here because of him. I'm here because he's for me. I'm here because he never took his hands off me. Touch your neighbor and say, but God, I need you to understand something that God is the answer that we're looking for. Nothing can fill the emptiness of a heart but God. There's no solution for war, for prejudice and injustice but God. There's no healing for the broken heart, the lonely and the desperate, but God. There's no turning point for human depravity, but God. There's no deliverance for addiction and heartache, but God. But God stands diabolically opposed to the negative wars, roars of the world. The world will always tell you you can, but God but God will tell you you can. The world will always tell you to stop, but, but God will say go after it. The world will always say it'll never happen. But God says it shall come to pass. I'm talking about a God that is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we can ask or think. But God. But God reminds us that circumstances change when God gets involved. That's why prayer is important. Understand that, that, that prayer is God's invitation to get to invitation for involvement. Prayer becomes our umbilical cord to heaven. If we want him involved, we got to pray him in. Prayer invites God. When I and pray, like we always say, we're calling down, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. When he gets involved, there are miraculous breakthroughs. When he gets involved, there are supernatural turnaround. When he gets involved, uh, come on, there's divine reversals, uh, possible impossibilities become possible when God gets involved thought about the Hebrew boys as they stood the Bible said they were see we always think about them in the fiery furnace but it was a little worse than that the Bible said they bound them first they were bound and then threw in a burning fiery furnace but the scripture said when they were thrown in that fiery furnace old Nebuchadnezzar looked down he said now wait a minute he said, did not we throw three down in the fiery furnace bound? He said, but when I look, I see four, watch this, men walking. Not only are they walking, they're loosed. And matter of fact, the fourth one looks like, come on, the son of God. What am I trying to tell you? What was meant to burn you and consume you and eat you up when God gets involved, you can walk through what others fell down in. What meant to consume you, God will cause you to rise over. What the enemy, come on, is anybody here? When he gets involved, it doesn't matter if the odds are stacked against you because if God God before me, who can be against me? 
Things change when God gets involved. I want to talk, I thought about people in this house when I'm thinking about that prayer is an invitation. Prayer is God's invitation into our situation. I began to think about our Thursday morning business prayer because I thought about Peter. Peter had the revelation that when God gets involved even in your business, things change. Peter was a professional fisherman. Peter, the Bible said he toiled all night. He worked all night, but he didn't catch anything. He was in a season in his business where his expertise expertise wasn't working his contacts weren't working he had sent every text he could send he had sent every email he could send he had all the meetings he had done everything that school had taught him to do but he was still in a position where he was toiling but the bible said there came a tall Galilean one day named Jesus and the bible said when he got into his boat when he got into his business not only did he take him deeper but he took him further watch this and when God got in his boat when God got in his business he went from empty nets to broken nets and the only reason why the nets were broken because the blessing was so big I want to tell somebody tonight I dare you to believe God to get in your boat in November and he'll take you from empty nets to broken nets before 2017 can get in here does anybody still believe that when God gets in he can change things oh I just feel a little preach on me understand that God when he gets involved and I wrote this down that's why you can never grant the temporary permission to be permanent Who? never grant the temporary Permission to be permanent. I guess it's got to stay this way. I guess it's always, it's been this way. So it's gone. The devil is a lie. Because when God gets in there, when God comes on the thing, seeing things change, don't you dare give permission to the temporary to become permanent. Not only does God remind us that things change, but I want to tell you that God reminds us not only can he change circumstances that surrounds us, but God knows how to reverse things people have tried to do to us. What do you mean? This is what happened to Joseph. Listen what happened to Joseph. The Bible said people forced him into a pit. People falsely accused him. People forgot him in the prison, but God didn't forsake him. And this is where Genesis 50, 20 comes in. He looks at the people, which was his own family. And he said, you meant it for my evil, but God meant it for my good. I need to tell somebody, quit trying to fight stuff in the flesh. Quit trying to argue with people. Don't allow yourself to get carnal. Away with all those arguments. Away with all those texts and social media media fights. Uh, put that mess down. Let me tell you something. The Bible says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I'll repay. Get it out of your hands and put it into God's hand because see, notice what God did for Joseph. God said, I'm going to take what people tried to do to you. I'm going to use it to promote you and when I promote you, I'm going to use you to bless other people. That's why you have to keep your eyes on God. Understand, are you following? But God releases us from our past. 
First Corinthians 6, 9 says this. He said, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom. He said, don't be deceived, fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, or extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And he said, and such were some of you, but you were washed, sanctified, and justified. Now, can I teach here for a moment? You leave that up right there. It says, and such, well, can you go back for me one more time to verse 10? Notice it said, uh, it says thieves, covetous, drunk. No, I want you to, can you go back up one more time? Uh-huh. Verse nine. Yeah. I want to get the whole list. Fornicates, adults, address, nor homes. Next. I want you to see this. Thieves, covetous, drunkards, nor revelers, nor stern. Well, now I want to show you something. But God releases you from your past. I want you to see in this scripture that God put them all in the same category. Uh oh. Because what we have a tendency to do, mm -hmm, I'm coming right where we're living today, is what we like to do is what I call pull out our religious Richter scales. See, and we want to say, if they do this, that's a, a 1.3. But if they do this, that's a 3.5. But if they do this, that's a 2.6. If they do that, that's a 9.8. And we come up with our own religious Richter scales on how hard sin could hit. But let me explain to you something. The only way that it got on the scale is it that it had to register as an earthquake. So whether it's a 1.2, a 3.5, or a 4.6, is still an earthquake. Let me translate that. Whether you're a drunkard or a covenant or extortioner or a sodomite, God says it's all in the same category. There is no Richter scales in heaven. When he sees it, he sees it as sin. All it takes is one sin to separate for us from the love of God, from the presence of God. That's why we all need the blood. We all need Jesus. We we all need the cross. We all need. I know you wasn't going to shout there, but that's OK. But I just want you to put that little Richter scale down and turn to the cross because the next verse said, and such were some of you. You were in the same boat. Got out of the club now. Now you want to turn your nose up at somebody. I love you. But what I want to show you, but God releases because he said such, watch this, were some of you. You know what Paul is saying? You don't have to stay in that same condition. You don't have to stay in that same lifestyle. He said such were some of you. But I tell you what, he said there's a power that can wash you. There's a power that can sanctify you. There's a power that can set you free. In other words, there's no excuse for us to stay bound. There's no excuse for us to stay in bondage. We serve a God that says whom the son of man sets free is free indeed but God releases us from our past I want to tell somebody in here no matter what you've gone through no matter what you've suffered no matter what you've come out of you still have great worth and value to God God values you you are great worth to God I thought about this little example this is a hundred dollar bill understand this $100 bill, 
This $100 bill, if I crumble it, its value is still $100. If I step on it, ooh, that's my knee. It's still a $100 bill. If I kick it, it's still valued at $100. If I were to spit on it, it's still $100. The value didn't change because of what happened to it, what it's gone through, what it's experienced, because the value of that bill is not determined by what happens to it, but it's determined by who created. And I don't know who I'm talking to. Maybe you've been crumbled up with life. Maybe you've been stepped on by life. Matter of fact, maybe some things have even torn you to pieces, but I'm here to tell you that what happened to you has not changed your value in a God that loves you and is for you and will never come on anybody hearing me this evening you are great worth to God no matter what you've been through you see the most important thing in life is that you is what you believe about God but the second most important thing of life is what you believe about yourself Do you believe that you are a great work to God? Because you are. I want to tell you, i got a few more. But God repositions us in the present. What do you mean? Ephesians 2, 11, it says this. But remember, you were once Gentiles, called uncircumcised, without Christ, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in this world, But listen to verse 13, it says, but now in Christ, you who were once, who were once, who once were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Do you hear what Paul was saying? He said, you and I as Gentiles, he he said, we wasn't a part of the clique. We wasn't a part of the club or the inner circle. He said, we were afar off. He said we had no hope. He said we were strangers to the covenant promises of God. The blessings of God, the favor of God. It was nowhere near us outside of a relationship with him. But it says you who were once afar off have been made nigh by the blood of Jesus. When the blood comes on your life, when Jesus comes in your life, when God steps on the scene, the Bible said he removes the middle divider that kept us away. And now in him. Our present position has changed. We were once cut off, but now we're connected. We were once the tail, but now we're the head. We were once in the disadvantaged place, but now we are in the advantaged place. All because of what God did when he came into our life. Understand, not only does God, watch this, repositions us in the present and releases us from the past. But God also recommends us for the future. What do you mean, Javon? 1 Corinthians 1.26 says this. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes. Powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose, the, the, chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those things which are wise. He chose things that were powerless 
Notice that to shame those that are powerful. He chose things that despise the world, uh, world, things that counted as nothing at all and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers were important. Notice what God says. He says, not only do I release you from the past, not only do I reposition you in the present, I recommend you for, for the future. But notice his, his, the one who he chooses. This is what blesses me. Notice his criteria according to this text. Foolish, powerless, and despised. He said, I'm going to take the very thing that nobody else thought had any value. I'm going to choose the very people everybody else looked over. I'm going to choose that person that was always in the back of the class. That was always made fun of. He said, I'm going to choose the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. In other words, when you understand, but God, but God qualifies what others have disqualified. And he says, I'm going to choose those who nobody else have even thought about. And when I think about that, I think about God had a bad history of doing this. He always chose the unlikely. He always chose a Noah that was a drunk. He always chose a stuttering Moses that was a fugitive. He chose a Jacob that was a liar and a schemer. He chose a Rahab who was a prostitute that worked the red light district. Come on, he chose a Zacchaeus who was a crooked businessman, a short crooked businessman. Look at the people he chose. He chose a Samson who was a womanizer. He chose David who was an adulterer and a murderer. He chose Peter. Of all the people, Peter. Peter who had a loud mouth. Peter who, who will cuss you and cut you at the same time. But these are the people that God chose because he's never intimidated by issues and struggles because what we serve a God, watch this, he he looks through, come on, he looks through Jacob and sees Israel. He looks through Saul and he sees Paul. He looks through Abram and he sees Abraham. He looks through Sarah and he sees Sarah. He looks through us and he sees what he's created us to be. And he says, I choose you. And it's humbling. It's humbling. Because I know that I was the foolish. I know I was the powerless and still is for that sake. I know there is no reason other than God. This is where this message was birthed in my heart. When it hit me for where I was to where God had done and brought did in my life. Sometimes people just don't understand. They come up to you as if your life has been perfect for all the time that you've lived. But I'm sorry, you just, where you step in and meet people is not where they've always been in life. Because when I look at my life, former weed smoking, cigarette smoking, liquor drinking, needle sticking, cocaine snorting, pill popping, Acid tripping, ecstasy dropping, gang banging, drug dealing, a mess, suicidal and out of control. And when I read Ephesians 2, and when I hear, 
but God. It's more than a nice sermon. It's more than a good lesson on Sunday. It's more than something to get somebody hyped up. But to me, it's my life. I don't deserve to be here right now. I don't deserve to have anything right now. I don't deserve to be a part of the greatest church on the world. I don't deserve to be able to have the wife I have, the kids I have. I don't deserve any of it. But all I have to say to you is, but God who was rich in mercy. That's all I got is Him. And I'll leave you with this. Because but God, I told you what but God does. But but God is three things. Sit down, let me finish. I got a couple minutes. <laughs> Give me a couple minutes. Notice what the text said. It said but God is. Watch this. It said He was rich. And mercy. Grace is giving us what we don't deserve. Mercy is not giving us what we do deserve. And the Bible said he's rich. In other words, he's abundant in mercy. One translation said super abundant. Oh, and overflowing with mercy. Mercy not getting what we do deserve. Peter talks about because see mercy is also translated as the kindness of God because God chooses kindness over judgment he even says it in Peter he said some men look at me when it talks about me coming back in my return they said I'm slack concerning my promises they say I'm not holding up to the end of my deal but then it says but I'm long suffering I'm long suffering. I'm suffering long. You know why? He says, because I'm willing that none should perish, but that all come to repentance. Can I translate that? God said, I'm holding out as long as I can. I know judgment is demanding, but when I look over, I see the blood. I see the cross. He says, I'm holding out. Because I don't want one person to die and enter into eternity without me. I'm holding out. I'm holding as long as I can. Jesus is coming someday. But he says, I'm long suffering. I'm suffering because I don't want one person to die and enter into a Christless eternally. eternity. I want to tell somebody he's holding out for you. He says, I'm rich in mercy. But then he says, I'm exceeding in grace. Did you catch that? The exceeding grace of God. Actually, grace is in dimensions. And the dimensions keep getting greater because the Bible said the riches of His grace. Then it says exceeding riches of His grace. But then it says the unsearchable riches of grace. Because grace keeps growing. And let me tell you something. Sin will never be able to outgrow grace. You got scripture? Glad you asked. It says this, that, that, that where sin abounds, grace abounded much more. It says where sin is growing and sin is increasing. Notice what this. At the same time, grace is increasing even more. If, if sin gets to here, grace is up here. 
If sin gets to here, grace is up here. Grace has all, always has the upper hand on sin. Listen what the message says. I love this. Sin doesn't have a chance in competition with grace. When it's sin versus grace, watch this. Grace wins hands down. That's a whole sermon right there. Grace wins hands down. And then last, he says, I'm rich in mercy, exceeding in grace. And when we sang that song today, it blessed me because I knew this point I had. It says that he's great in love. But God demonstrated his love toward us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Us that rebelled. Us that didn't want to have anything to do with him. Us that were so far off and caught up in the things of this world. Us, while we were yet sinners, he demonstrated that great love. Why is that love great? It's great, number one, because it's eternal. He said through Jeremiah, I have loved you with an everlasting love. It's great, not only because it's eternal, but the Bible tells us that it's also, it's, it's also sacrificial. Because Romans says, while we, we were yet sinners, he died for us. Not only is it sacrificial, watch this. This love is unconditional. Romans said, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. And then he says it's personal because he said in John 15, as the father has loved me, he made it personal. He said, I have loved you, loved you, loved you, loved you, loved you, loved you, and loved you. And then he says it's also effectual. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Great is his love toward me. And God loves you where you are, but he loves you too much for you to stay where you are. And today, I just want to remind you the difference that God makes when he gets in the situation. Remember, it's a counter conjunction. What should have don't have to be if you let God into the equation. Do you believe that today? Stand on your feet right now and give God just a hand clap of praise. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were blessed.